it's different, but it's not completely different. There's a lot, a lot that I've borrowed. And I do want to say that I don't see a lot of people making the shifts between the two worlds. And I think there's value to it. I mean, if I ever were to go back to the nonprofit world, I feel like I've gained so much from being in this other, the other side of things. And I feel like I've brought some interesting new perspectives to the table having come from this world. So I just, I want to say like, I, I want to encourage people to consider even yeah. for a few years to the experience of, of making that shift to kind of see how, how it is on the other side. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, this is Lindsay Simons, your host of the Creating Community for Good podcast. Today's episode is an interview with the head of U.S. Marketing and Communications for Wipro Limited, a Forbes Global 1000 company. But he wasn't always a corporate powerhouse. He started as a student of law and then quickly turned to community and alumni relations and education. After 15 years of the nonprofit sector, he was curious about the beanbag lifestyle of corporate America in Silicon Valley. Although I say that in jest, it's also true. There's a totally different lifestyle and philosophy around the workspace in the corporate world as compared to the traditional nonprofit sector. Not only was that alluring, but sharpening his business acumen and skills through diverse exposure inspired my guest to make that leap. And he's never looked back. Andrew Coftail is a dear friend of mine. Today, he opens up about his experience, transferable skill sets, and advice for others considering moving from the nonprofit sector to the for-profit sector. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. With the intention to inform, inspire, and evolve, let's begin. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. I have a dear friend of mine, Andrew Coftail, on. He and I met about 10 years ago at University of California, San Francisco, where he was the executive director of alumni relations, and I was running the capital campaign, the campaign for UCSF Medical Center. And I'm just thrilled to have Andrew here because he's got a very interesting story, having been in nonprofits for quite some time, very successful there. And then he switched into the for-profit world. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it to you, Andrew. Will you tell us a little bit about how you made this very dramatic shift from one sector to the next and success in both places? Sure, I'm happy to. First of all, thank you so much for having me today. This is a great honor and a wonderful privilege to to spend some time with you. So yeah, this my career story started actually when I was in high school. I was obsessed with colleges and universities. I visited 37 colleges. I became a de facto guidance counselor at my high school, placing all of my friends in their various colleges. And so after college, I went to law school and realized law and the practice of law just wasn't a good fit for me. When I worked at a law firm, I was told that I was too nice and didn't have quite the teeth necessary to be a litigator. So instead of pursuing a traditional law career, I went to uh, apply for jobs at universities. And I was really open to different career paths at universities. So I applied to jobs in admissions, I applied to jobs in development, and I first landed a job in alumni relations at a small law school in San Francisco. And I loved it. It was a great fit for me. I loved the people aspect of it. 
I love the communications aspect of it. I love the dynamism. And I love that it was mission-driven, that I was helping to support education. So over the course of about 14 years, I worked through a number of different universities. I was at GW, I was at UC Berkeley, and then at UCSF where we met. And I had my dream job. Being executive director of alumni relations was a dream job. I was really plugged in to the fundraising community. I absolutely love fundraisers uh, as people. I just, you know, fun, strategic, interesting, dynamic people. And everything was going well. I had a really interesting pivot to the for-profit sector because the reason I, I made the pivot was that as executive director of alumni relations, or during that time, I applied for... My team actually applied for an award with uh, CASE, which was our trade association. And we won. We won the Grand Gold Award, which is the biggest award you know, in the industry. Really big honor. And I started to get calls from different universities. You know, hey, do you want to come work for our school in Chicago? Or want to come work for our school in New York? And I was just not feeling it. I had been doing it for so long. And I was thinking... You know, I really, I'm, for some reason, there's a gut instinct that, that none of these jobs are really appealing to me and, and they should. So, you know, as you do, I live in the Bay Area and have all these friends that work for the Googles and the Facebooks and they go to work, you know, and, you know, on, on these cool bean bags and they get free sparkling water. And I was kind of like, what is that world like? Like, what is that? So that's how I made the pivot. I, I decided to start some informational interviews and actually a college friend. That so somebody I'd known from 1998 and, and from choir in college, he you know got me an informational interview and then an interview to assume a role at a for profit. And I, I actually didn't know what kind of job I could do in the for profit world. I didn't understand how I could translate my skill set from development and alumni relations to the for. I didn't know how it, it applied. And so yeah. I I learned that it was marketing. And so my, my first job, you know, in the for-profit sector was, was in marketing. And just, you know, one last thing I'll say is, you know, what was interesting and how I really sold myself as a marketer was that the, the place I worked for at the time was called Cooper. They didn't want what they perceived as a slick or a slimy kind of marketer. They wanted somebody who they felt really, you know, understood their experts as almost a faculty at a university and who, you know, was really kind of mission driven mm -hmm. in nature. And so I was really able to sell those aspects of my background to get to land this first job, which which was a really helpful couple of aspects that allowed me to pivot. So it's really about area expertise and coming in as a knowledge source. Yeah, that and I, I also think that, you know, a big part of my role was in the realm of business development. Mm -hmm. And I brought some new perspectives having worked in healthcare at UCSF, having worked in higher education, having worked in the nonprofit sector. So I was able to bring those three sectors to this kind of for-profit services company. And I think they really appreciated, they saw the value of potentially bringing new business and new types of projects to, into their portfolio through the experience that I, that I had. Uh, it's, it's interesting because we all have well, we have different experiences, but I've noticed that a lot of the for-profit sector companies are really looking for a lot of experience in the same industry, just in a different company, right? So they're recruiting from each other. They're fishing from the same little pond. Yeah. So it's great that you were able to make that big leap. Tell me more about that skill set in particular. 
I want to frame it a little bit. As we were chatting while I was setting up my mic, we were talking about different types of lead generation and different styles. And you were saying you're an excellent hunter and I'm an excellent farmer. So tell me a little bit more about what does that mean and how did you learn you were an excellent hunter at nonprofit space, translating it into the for-profit space for a value add? Really good question. So basically in the sales realm in a for-profit company, they will refer to different salespeople as either hunters, you know, the business development people or the farmers, the people that are really getting into the accounts and getting to know the, the individual folks. That's, those are really common terms of art. And the reason I knew I was more of the hunter type was because that's essentially what I did in the, in the nonprofit realm. So mm-hmm. if you look at annual giving and if you look at alumni relations, which were the two areas that I think I really excelled in, in the nonprofit space and the development space, those are really hunting areas. Those are, you know, you're unearthing new prospects, you're bringing new relationships to bear. When I was at uh, UCSF or Berkeley, I would help to populate panels of experts for events. I would help to think of new ways to kind of just plug alumni into different opportunities, maybe people who had never been engaged before. And I really enjoyed that kind of work. It's not that I didn't enjoy having the deeper relationships. It was just that my instinct and my real strength was in that first area. And so, you know, largely marketing in the, in the realm of the for-profit world is, is essentially that. It's, it's, it's kind of figuring out opportunities to, to engage people at the outset. It's, it's thinking about who's my target audience, you know, and in the nonprofit space, you're, you're thinking that's your database. That's your, that's the people that you're buying lists for that you're reaching out to. And so, you know, we, we're trying to figure out who our target audience is and then, you know, what is going to motivate them? What's going to mm-hmm. kind of get them to, 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 to do something. And so, you know, again, that, that's really been my focus uh, since I've switched over to the for-profit world, but also in the nonprofit world. You're sparking some ideas for me. When we were working at UCSF, that's an academic medical center and academic medicine is a whole beast unto itself in the nonprofit space. It's totally different than a lot of other nonprofits in terms of their vernacular for starters, but their business organization, the types of people that they're hiring, the way that they, they really organize their work. Do you have any examples of key terms that you have had to learn in the new industry of the for-profit space and sales that are just totally different, but the same concept from fundraising? Like help our audience who's more nonprofit oriented. In the, in the for-profit world, we communicate through decks. I don't know if that is a thing in the nonprofit world now, but we're constantly talking about decks and PPTs. And that is a huge aspect of our lives. I don't remember. I remember I occasionally would create a presentation at a place like UCSF, but that is literally for for any meeting with a high-level person, you create a quote-unquote deck. Yeah, so that's like your solicitation deck or your primer deck. No, it's it's just like how we communicate literally almost everything. It's it's, it's, it's essentially a PowerPoint or a Google Doc. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a deck. We also think very much, I mean, you have a fiscal year at a place like UCSF or any nonprofit. We, do, we have the same, but we operate and we think in quarters. And qu- I mean, quarters are really a big part of the, the, the way that we frame our outreach. And you're really comparing quarter Q over Q, Q over Q, quarter over quarter is a really big focus. And so you, you think in more in smaller chunks that come really quickly 
And so, you know, there, and there's a, there's a lot of reporting that happens. It, that happens, especially in annual giving to an extent, but probably less so in the major gifts realm. And it, it just overall is something that we think about a lot more. I, I will say that when you work for a for-profit also, in my experience, you, you know, you have this, everybody's marching towards the same goal, which is mm-hmm. growth essentially. And so it, it, it align, it's, it's easier to find alignment in a way. And so that's a big, and we always talk about alignment. That's another thing. We're always okay. trying to find alignment. So that, that's, a, that's a word that, that is used constantly. Whereas in nonprofits, especially very big operations, we yeah. constantly struggle with silos and incentives. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, so getting motivated to pursue different individuals or funders that we don't want to have overlap. Or if we do overlap them, it's figuring out how do we share credit. So I feel like that's something that's been a topic of conversation for many years in terms of incentives and, you know, what are the metrics for success yes. that a nonprofit yeah, fundraiser is looking at. Do you call them in nonprofits KPIs? I think that's what we're constantly talking about key performance indicators. Oh yeah. I've been using KPIs for a while now, but I think it may just be me because now I've gotten so integrated into, you know, working with boards that that's what boards use. So that's the sort of thing that is interesting with nonprofits. It depends on sort of where you are in the nonprofit. If you're working with a board, then you're probably using more business terms. If you're working with, you know, the annual giving or mailing, you're probably not. You're probably just being served, you know, what your leadership is telling you. Exactly. Another thing I'll, I'll say is that there are some words that I brought with me from the nonprofit. Okay, like what? And so in particular, the concept of capacity and inclination. Okay. And, uh, I, so I learned that in a fundraising training and I use it all the time to this day. It's the concept that, you know, you really need both in order to make a sale or have a you know, successful business development opportunity. So capacity is about, you know, does somebody have the ability to hire you or the ability to give? And inclination you know, is do they want to or do they have a need that you can support? Yeah. So So I actually talk a lot about the golden triangle when we're prospecting. And the golden triangle is affinity. So do they have that inclination like you're talking about? And then ability would be that capacity. Can they make a significant gift? And then finally, it's access because that's the biggest challenge. You know, a lot of nonprofits are doing work that would speak to a Bill Gates or Oprah, but there's no way that all of them have access. Something I, I want to point out that's also a really big difference that yeah. I have found fascinating is when I worked in fundraising, there were so many opportunities to get to know my peers at different institutions, amazing community of people. I really miss that. Really? For profit realm, especially organizations that are like yours, the culture is not to get to know each other. So I actually don't know very many marketers, to be honest, outside of my company. If you're a marketer, then reach out to Andrew. We <laughs> need more friends. You yeah, probably have 10,000 friends on LinkedIn. Interesting, because, you know, when you work at a Harvard, you know, like you, you're friends with the person with your job at Yale and yep. at Stanford, and you have meetings regularly, and yep. you're like dialing them. And for us, I have no idea who has my job at the most similar companies to the one I work at. And so it's a, it's a really, really big difference. Isn't that same camaraderie or community of professionals that do what you do outside of your, your, your company? So that, that's a, a huge change. That is super interesting. I, I feel like that might speak to the mentality of the different industries too, right? Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Well, I think, I think at the end of the day, I think those are, you know, that's our competition, with other companies. And so, you know, 
you don't want to tell each other secrets, especially in the university realm. Yeah. You know, you close universes of prospects. Yeah. And so you share a lot more because you're not, you don't have as much to lose by yeah. giving your special sauce away or, or sharing your secrets. So I think that that might be a, a difference, but it is something that is, you know, it's, it's a marked change. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so getting back to the heart of transitioning from nonprofit sector to the for-profit sector, tell me about a time when you realized you were in a totally different world. Think about the Wizard of Oz and when it goes from black and white to color. What's the difference? Well, I think a really big difference is, there's two I'll, I'll focus on. One is sales conversations versus conversations with prospects are quite different. Sales conversations are so much more about, you know, the very specific, almost instant value that you're going to add and that they're going to produce by virtue of, of engaging you or working with you, as opposed to a conversation around a major gift or, you know, or, or a donation to a university. That's, there's much more of like an emotional aspect of it. You're tapping into a passion or a sense of loyalty. And that's a really, really, really big difference. It was an interesting when you sort of take out those kind of passion, more personal aspects of the of the dynamic, and you're really focused on like the ROI, the bottom line, like the hard numbers of how your service is going to impact their bottom line. And so that was a that was a really big shift for me. The yeah. second thing I will say is when I worked at Cooper, I worked very closely with uh, with the founders. We became very close, and they asked me to help to sell the company. And that was not something I ever considered when I worked in the nonprofit realm. We never thought about selling the university to anybody else. So that was an interesting experience. And you know, selling the company was a fascinating, you know, a fascinating experience for a number of months, probably approaching a year where I was flying around the country, making presentations to potential organizations that were going to purchase our company. And also the transition, the integration of, you know, basically combining brands. It was just like, I mean, it was never something that I I ever contemplated was, was sunsetting an existing brand of one that I had really spent a lot of times growing and building and integrating it into another one. I knew I was like not in Kansas anymore. I had to do that. And so that, that really was an eye-opening sort of experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. And there's something that I love about you is that you have an incredible memory. You remember every single detail about every single person you've ever met. No exaggeration. You have this incredible memory. How does that how does that work? Tell us about the day in the life of Andrew Cocktail. Because you don't sleep, you hardly eat, all you do is feed your brain. And I have no idea what your brain feeds on. <laughs> Tell me about secret sauce. Something that I've loved about both jobs is that yeah. they're, they've been very dynamic and there's so many different things to do. And so I, I love marketing because my job is so unbelievably diverse. And I mean, I work on so many different types of things. It's interesting when they, when I was hired, somebody used a Hindi phrase or a, a title for me. They called me the Asutradar, which is like the kind of puppet master, the, the dot connector. And that's really, you know, I think the way that I leverage 
what you're talking about, you know, just kind of having my hands in so many pots and finding connections, figuring out partnerships. I, you know, it really allows you to kind of be really, really creative. So I feel like, you know, my typical day right now, it's, I mean, there is no typical day. I, I work on a number of different types of things. I work to, you know, in business development opportunities, trying to, you know, raise awareness. I'll, I'll, I'll help to execute digital campaigns. We have eight cities around the country that we focus on. And so try to focus on building relationships and amplifying the company in those places. You know, I will, in, before COVID, plan a lot of events. We, we you know, plan, and j- just like I did it at a place like UCSF, you know, we, we try to think about, interesting panels, multi-day events, you know, much like an alumni weekend, we will have like, you know, really high level, high touch events where we get to engage with customers. And then, you know, I'll, you know, we'll, 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 we'll do chamber of commerce memberships. We have a number of memberships, different chambers of commerce, and we try to figure out just different strategic relationships, sponsorships, or, you know, just different opportunities for virtual meetings that people can tap into. So, you know, it's, it's, every day is really diverse. There, there's a, there's a left brain and a right brain aspect to it. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of spreadsheets. There's a lot of understanding, you know, the, the kind of, to kind of understand what who our, our target audience is and what, motivates them and what the, you know, benchmarking, what the issues people are facing or questions they have that we can help answer. And then there's more qualitative stuff like, well, who is the individual that would be right for this opportunity? Or, you know, who, what are the creative things that we can do or creative language or creative topics or creative looks and feel mm-hmm. that will, will be engaging or catch attention of people. So Honestly, every day is different. I, I'm working, you know, when I go through my weekly agenda, it's, I have like 20 different things I'm working on at any given time, at least. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty dynamic and exciting place to be. In. And honestly, it's similar to when I worked in alumni relations. I mean, it was, you know, alumni relations is, a, is extremely dynamic. We, you know, we'd work on, of, you know, alumni weekend, we'd regional events. And you know what? It, 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 it's different, but it's not completely different. There's a lot a lot that I've borrowed. And, and I will, I do want to say that I don't see a lot of people making the shifts between the two worlds. And I think there's value to it. I mean, I, I, if I ever were to go back to the nonprofit world, I feel like I've gained so much from being in this other, the other side of things. And I feel like I've brought some interesting new perspectives to the table, having come from this world. So I just, I want to say that like, I, I want to encourage people to consider even yeah. for a few years to the experience of, of making that shift to kind of see how, how it is on the other side. Yeah. I love that. I think it's a great idea. Tell me more about what are your thoughts on what would be a great career transition for somebody who is burnt out, burnt out of nonprofits, whether the, there are the highest level of leadership as executive director, or if they are new to the nonprofit space or a couple of years in, and yeah. they're you know coming up against big challenges. Nonprofits yeah. really suffer from low overhead or scrutinized overhead. They suffer from very high marks and pressure around Mm -hmm. fundraising that causes transactional thinking that's not good for anybody at the end of the day. And, you know, it's, it's just, we're not sitting on beanbags now. (laughs) Nobody's sitting on beanbags. Exactly. It's true. Now we're just sitting on beanbags at home. Yeah, exactly. But like, let's just, let's explore. What do you think are some Entry points? Roles. Yeah, entry points. Thanks. That's yeah, what I'm looking I mean, for. It honestly depends on the individual role you 
had. I uh-huh. think it's, you know, as an executive director, I think that's a really interesting question. Every executive director, from my perspective, comes from a specific vantage point. Like, so for example, I know some executive directors come from operations to be an executive director or right. come from fundraising. So I would actually, as an executive director, probably take one step back to your root experience that got you to that role and okay. figure out, you know, what that was. If you were a fundraiser, let's say, I think marketing and business development are obvious areas for people to, to pursue. I think if you worked in the operations realm, I think there's a lot of value you could bring from the nonprofit space into the for-profit space, having had that experience. I think a lot of for-profits operate pretty similar to large... Well, because I shouldn't even say that. Rewind. I think it's, it's really interesting. I think size of organization, whether or not they're nonprofit or for-profit, is more important to consider in terms of transferable skill sets. So for example, if you're coming from a small nonprofit, working in a place like where I worked initially, Cooper would be an easier transition. You know, it's, it's more democratized. It is more of a family kind of environment. There's more of a jack of all trades sort of approach to work. So people are kind of doing, you know, working across, across roles and across functions in a, in a, in a greater way. And if you're working for a larger university, I think it'd be interesting to explore opportunities at, at the places like the Ubers and the Facebooks and the Googles, because you understand how to, you know, work through silos. You understand how to, you know, there's lots of different functions that you need to consider and, you know, sort of the, maybe the politics or, or that element of things, processes and systems. I, I feel like that, that is one of the most important things to consider is not, it's not just for-profit or nonprofit, but it's really size of organization and scale, I think is, is really important to consider. I, I will say it's been really interesting when we sold Cooper to Wipro, you know, it was a huge transition. I went from working for a 50 person company to working for a company with 180,000 people. And so, you know, even though it's for profit, the experience of working for one and to the other is yeah. hugely different. So, you know, and actually working for Wipro is more similar to working at a UCSF than, than Cooper was. So it's, 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 it's really fascinating. I will say that again, I, I, I think that the hardest part is of breaking in is not the actual transition, meaning even transitioning from one university to another university was sometimes a really big transition. It's the perceptions, breaking the perception of how different they are mm. during the hiring process. That's the mm. hardest part, honestly, mm. because I feel like at first, I really, I really had to get into the for-profit realm through an individual connection, basically through, you know, through an informational interview. If you just apply, if I just applied with a resume, I don't know that I would have gotten responses. Mm-hmm. But I was able to contextualize why and how things, tra- why I wanted to make the change and how I would transfer my skill set. I feel like that was what allowed me to make the, the transition. But it, it hasn't, it hasn't honestly ever been really challenging, particularly challenging to switch from the, it was not hard to switch from the nonprofit world, to the for-profit world in terms of like the work. It was, it was, it was just a few terms of art were different. And really, I mean, that's, that's like the main difference, honestly. And I mean, and again, you're really focused on growth, the things we talked about before, but other than that, I realized now what I was doing for so many years was essentially a form of marketing. I mean, I, I, I we just weren't calling it marketing. So, well, what you've lost though, is the mission focus, right? And the emotional draw. Not exactly true. It's fascinating. I expected that. That's what I thought I would experience. And it's not 
has not been the case for me. Why so? Why not? Well, when I worked for Cooper, I will say that it's like the, it was like a family and people really cared about the culture of the organization. They really cared about like the welfare of the organization in a way I just didn't expect. They really felt good. I mean, this is my own experience, but people really felt good about the work we did. They felt like we were like, you know, it was a UX design agency and we felt like we were really helping clients, helping the world to, you know, to create products and services that were, you know, you're more user-friendly that just made people happy. And that I, I, so people actually felt really connected to that approach. Yeah. It wasn't, and that it's was not just a service. Like people really were into it. Yeah. And there were a lot of people that were really thoughtful, like so in some cases, very social justice oriented that were in these roles. It was a pretty big surprise for me. I didn't, mm. I didn't know that that, I thought I was going to be missing that mm. moving over from the nonprofit to the for-profit space. And that was a surprise for me that there was a sense of like people cared about the mission. It wasn't solving hunger directly or homelessness directly, but you know, there, there, people did care about what we did and took pride in it and connected to it in a way that was interesting. In my current organization, a really high proportion of our profits support the education system in India. It's a very purpose-driven organization. And there's a tremendous amount of loyalty to the organization mm. and to what we do. I mean, I, I work... Another thing that's interesting, and I should have mentioned this before, is corporate social responsibility is something that people from the nonprofit sector yes. that are in the, in the realm of a for-profit organization. But, you know, diversity, corporate social responsibility, those are huge parts of our organizational culture and my job. And I feel really connected to those things. We just had this beautiful pride celebration. I actually manage our relationship to pride last year and was involved this year. And I mean, it was really moving to be involved, especially because it's a global organization. So people from all over different places really loved that experience. So I feel like that is a, you know, that I I am not lacking those good feels in a way that I thought I would. We, we, we have those and you can find them in for-profit organizations. I mean, maybe this is crass to say, like I, when I was a lawyer, you know, I, I wouldn't have worked for like an asbestos defense firm, mm. let's say. So, you know, I think that, you know, there, there are probably... Can be discerning. Yeah. yeah. There's exceptions to these rules and everybody has to find their own, their own kind of moral compass in the context yeah. of their jobs. But I'll say in the nonprofit realm, there are nonprofits that don't jive with my values either. So, you know, it's, you just have to find a for-profit who you believe in and that you, you know, that and, and really more than the mission or it's or in tandem with the mission, it's the culture mm-hmm. of, an, of an organization, a for-profit that you really need to focus on. And so I think that that is something I would really look at when you're making that transition. I love that. And I guess I just feel like the question continues to beg at me, why? So you said at the beginning, you just, you had this great success. It was really well recognized nationally and maybe even globally. And you were recruited and you just didn't feel inspired to keep going down this trajectory. Is that the why? Or was there something else that was drawing you into the for-profit sector? I felt like at some level... I had done everything I sort of set out to do in the nonprofit. I kind of reached a ceiling at some level. And I realized that to take my skill set to a for-profit, it creates a much higher ceiling and there's so many more opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I still, I'm, I, I still consider myself at an ambitious phase of my career yeah. and you know, still growing. And I didn't feel like there were those growth opportunities 
in the nonprofit realm in the way that there is in the, in the for-profit realm. So I, I just, you know, I just, I just wanted to create a new and much higher ceiling for myself, essentially. I didn't, I didn't aspire in the nonprofit realm, the, you know, the next logical step would have let, led me to like a VP of development. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't, that wasn't calling to me, but it does call to me the potential of being a CMO at a, at a large company or that that's exciting. You know, there, and there's fun, interesting, dynamic steps in between my role and that role that I'm excited to explore. That's great. That's really interesting to hear. And I also would like to ask you to just reflect on your experience. You left the nonprofit space, what was it, five years About ago? Five, almost exactly five years ago. Almost five. Okay. I did, I did a month in Italy between the oh, transitions. That's and a so great way to do it. Right now, I have all these fond memories of that, of that time. But yeah, that was, that was exactly five years ago. Okay. So in five years, what kind of career growth have you seen and progression have you seen? Absolutely. So, you know, when I when I made the shift from UCSF, I was initially they they created a role for me at Cooper. So I was a, uh, I was at, at U, it was a, I had to take a title demotion. So at UCSF, I was an executive director. They don't really that executive director isn't a big title in the for profit realm, which mm. is not, not as much of a, a thing. So I became what they call a director of engagement. We created the title together because they didn't want somebody who had that, again, that smarmy marketing vibe. They wanted Mm -hmm. it to feel a bit more academic and more engaging. So I did that job for a while. And that was essentially like a traditional marketing role. And I extended the role when I, you know, basically after about two years, about a year and a half, I actually was, I was promoted to become... Uh, senior director of growth marketing. And that job encompassed a bit more. There was a lot more in the realm of business development. I did a lot more actual frontline sales and like account development. We created an account-based marketing focus. So we actually thought about the types of clients that we were aiming for. And we would really, really like create opportunities to engage the individuals from those companies in a much more directive fashion. So I did that. And I also helped them to to develop a practice. So essentially, we developed a higher education practice and and we were consulting firm. And I actually both sold and was on team consulting teams for a number of universities around the country, which Mm -hmm. is really interesting to, to work on the other side after having worked for universities. So that happened. And as I alluded to before, then we decided to sell the company. And when we sold the company, I, we joined a larger, a larger, we became part of a larger subsidiary of the company. They're, they had a strategic design arm called Design It. So Cooper became part of that. So I became the senior director of North American marketing for this much larger entity. So from a 50 person company where I was essentially the CMO, I became the head of the, you know a large region for this global company. Mm-hmm. And then after some time, I got to know people at the parent company. And now I had US marketing for this company, which is a huge shift. I mean, it's basically I'm working for a, you know, a multi-billion dollar company with, you know, again, 185,000 or so employees, you know, and, and the US is our largest market in terms of revenue. So it's, it's been, a, so that's a great honor to be able to work at that scale. And it's, and it's, that's been a really big shift. And, you know, and I think that the, the sky's the limit. There's so many opportunities that can come from, from this. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, I love that story. And you're such a driven and 
competent and well-organized person that it's no wonder that you're so successful. And I'm happy to see your success and how easy the transition was for you. For those who are worried that you know, they're not sure what steps they would take to move into the for-profit space. You know, you mentioned that you had connections and that a job was created for you. That's pretty exceptional. Now, what advice would you have to others who don't have that, that network or don't feel like they would be, there would be a job created around them? What are the other ways that they might prepare now and be ready when opportunity does knock? Well, one thing, it's not directly answering your question, but I do want people to be open-minded about titles. Okay. I know that titles, even between yeah. the, I know nonprofits don't match, but they especially don't match in the realm of nonprofit to for-profit. So okay. for example, if you're a director at Google, you're overseeing a team of like 50 people at mm. least in many cases. So, you know, it's, it's just not a one-to-one in many cases. So don't become fixated on titles. I'm a senior director here, so I need to be a senior director there. I think that will open up a lot of opportunities for people. And I just, I think I'm a big proponent of informational interviews. I mean, I know that's basic information, but this is how you understand how to navigate because each for-profit organization is its own animal and it has its own intricacies. And so to really understand how that, you know, when, if I were to look at another for-profit, I'm sure it'd be very different than the one I work for. And so, you know, to, to, to really target or types of organizations you want to work for and understand, you know, how they're structured and share a little bit about your, your role and see how it fits. Because even one marketing organization to another marketing organization at a for-profit isn't exactly translatable. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's informational interviews are so incredible incredibly invaluable. I can't even tell you. It's not that they'll create a job for you, but they will contextualize your role. It'll, it'll help you reframe how you phrase what you've done. You know, like for example, another, you, you asked about terms of art, field marketing is uh-huh. basically events, but they call it field marketing. I mean, so you just to learn those words and integrate them into your narrative makes you a much more compelling candidate. And then it actually helps you refine your story as you're conducting informational interviews. And one thing I would add is that I would actually really tier how you approach your informational interviews. If you're getting, if you have the opportunity to meet with a super senior person who's a real decision maker at a for-profit that you want to work for, don't meet them first or early on, actually early on in your informational interview process. Meet them you know, after you've really got an, an ability to understand the ecosystem, mm-hmm. which is another word that people use in for profits. And, you know, so that you can like, you know, really leverage that relationship in a way that if you're just asking these like bold, open questions, you know, feel, I mean, another thing I will note is you often learn the most from a person who used to work for an organization. So when you're doing informational interview, don't only think about people that work at the place, but think about people that used to work at that place because those people often open a lot of doors for you. They have less political baggage that, you know, they'll just basically say, oh, I'll introduce you to blank. Who cares? You know, and they'll, and they'll, and they'll tell you the raw truth in a way that probably somebody who works in a place currently either, you know, doesn't feel comfortable doing or, or won't. And so, so I feel like that's a, a really interesting approach as well. Well, this has been inspiring. I love that you've had so much success and how much you've shared with us. I think the audience will probably find this very valuable as well. Do you have any one-off resources or recommendations for you know other ways for people to do some more homework? 
I say one thing to note is that there's especially now in the COVID world that we live in, mm-hmm. there's so, as you know, so many webinars and things there like that. There are a lot. Don't, don't just take webinars about how to switch jobs, but take actually go to the companies that you're interested in learning about and go take their webinars. And just like get their get a sense of vibe. what they're talking about, what they're doing, who their players are. And, you know, I feel like that is a really great opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, and, and they're, they're generally open. And, you know, just definitely engage on, on that level, you know, just to take a, take a view of what it's like and the language that they're using and, you know, the vibe that you're getting, you'll, you'll get a lot out of that. So, you know, I think, I think it's, it's more of a just diving in, experiencing it. And, you know, just, I know it's easy to say, but just don't be afraid. Just yeah. really, you know, just really understand that it's, it's not going to happen instantaneously for most people, yeah. but it, it will happen. It can happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you just have to, Use your skills, especially if you're a fundraiser, use your people skills and your you know, kind of charisma and, and your strategy to kind of get into that first role. And after you do that, you're, you're, you're set on a new trajectory. Oh, I love that. I love that. Andrew, this has been so wonderful. What have I not asked you? I mean, honestly, it's, just, it's been a wonderful experience for me. And I think I've been inserting... <laughs> the questions that you haven't asked throughout so <laughs> you're a great guest everything, everything out that I was I was interested in in saying well, I want to know once COVID's over are we still doing the big birthday pool parties at your mom's house because that's what you're known for yes I, for I, 10 I, years I, I've been going to your birthday fashion yeah we had 300 people at one of the school parties 300 yeah. oh my gosh maybe only maybe I mean you know honestly what COVID's made me do is you know cut down my, you know, it might only be a hundred people. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I miss that. I really, I really do. I, you know, after getting into a relationship, I've actually had not as, as many of these sorts of things. Yeah. And so I'm ready to, you know, after COVID to, to kind of re-explore the big party again. But, oh, I love it. You know, that's it's such a post-vaccine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Post-vaccine. Indeed. Oh, one more thing I want to say is I believe everybody should wear a mask. Thank you for saying that. Actually, that's a great segue because I usually ask at the very end, is there anything you want to say as like a shout out or a recommendation for people to to do or to support? And I think that's going to be what your message is. Wear a mask. Wear, please wear a mask. You know, we have elderly parents and, and, and people that we care about out there. And so it's not just for saving us, but it's for saving them too. So good message. Good message. Andrew, you're lovely. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and your resources of knowledge and word bank. Really appreciate this story and the journey that you've been on. And I wish you a lot of success. I know, I know that you will continue to have it. So can't wait to just continue and watch you grow. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast with Andrew Cocktail as we explored the transition from the nonprofit to the for-profit space and everything in between. If you like what you heard, let me know. Also, share it with a friend. If you haven't done so yet, then please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Creating Community for Good podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you and be well. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.